0: I want to begin by talking about the theme today. Come on and have a seat. Um, The theme today is the theme is wilderness. So today the sermon is around the a personal theme and the story of Elijah. He'll enter into the wilderness, and there he will face some of his own um, wounds and brokenness, and some of the lies that he's starting to believe about his calling. And yet the Lord will meet him there in the wilderness and speak a very tender word of correction and sort of set him back on course. And as we get started, I want you to think about something, and it's um, this idea that uh, have you ever been with someone and, you know, you're having a good conversation, and all of a sudden, through like the quiver in their voice, you just recognize that, whoa, all of a sudden, this has become a very emotional moment in their life. Like, you were having a good conversation, and, and it was going pretty well from, from your perspective, and all of a sudden, something, um, in the way that they say something, you sense, okay, right now, what's happening for them is, is much bigger than you had thought up until that point, and then you go back in the conversation, and you quickly connect the dots. You're like, oh, yeah, I can see now. Okay, I get it. I sort of get what's happening here. And you're brought into that. It's, it's, um, it's a surprising thing often. It can surprise us at some really interesting times. This happened to our family even recently. We've been praying for this family for years, and they're kind of off in the distance in our lives. But for whatever reason, every year the Lord brings them back to me, and I reach out, and... Um, one of our friends from high school was pulled into this cult, and, and he just, for years now, he's been captivated by this. I mean, his wife's there. They have six kids. And I got an email saying that something had shifted and that um, they had reached out to their parents. And so there was like this big, massive turn in the storyline. And I was telling my family about it, and it just... You know, I felt normal, and then all of a sudden, I just something overcame me, and I realized how impactful this was, even to me but also to this family, more so to this family and I just was overtaken, and you know my family had to just oh all of a sudden they're brought into this moment, you know and and um, it's a learning moment for everyone another emotional moment where someone was having something deep happen to them, and, and I was brought into it. Another story I remember from my past is, this was years ago, way before I was ever a pastor. I was listening to someone describe their call to ministry in a pretty tight circle, and um, they were talking about the impacts of ministry on their life, and all of a sudden, they started talking about their children. And, and all, all of a sudden, it just overcame them, some of the fears that they had about being in ministry and how this might impact the future of their children. And I remember in that moment, I had yet to become a pastor, but I took notes right there and I said, okay, I see what's happening. And, I, and now I understand the weight of that feeling. And so we're, we're often brought into these moments, right, in different places in life in surprising ways and that is, that is the text today um, you can turn to First Kings chapter ni- 19 and I'm going to grab a different music stand this one's a little wobbly but you can turn to First Kings 19 and um, there you go, I'll use two that's kind of cool Let's see what happens there So as I said, I'm even, I'm even just taking our time as we get to the scripture here because it, we actually started looking at the life of Elijah back in May. I think it was May that you started, Pastor Rick. So Pastor Rick's been just tracking the life of Elijah off and on through the summer and so today we'll, we'll see something in Elijah's life that's a little different. It's, it's the hardness of his call that drives him into this wilderness. And the wilderness is a biblical theme. We're going to unpack that a little bit. But it's God's grace that carries Elijah into the wilderness. And God speaks to him very in a very in a whisper, actually. And then Elijah is stood back up and he's sent back out to return to where he came from and to continue. But I want to ask you a question. Um, Would you allow yourself this morning to encounter Elijah's emotional moment, so to speak? I don't know if Elijah's necessarily breaking down emotionally, um, but some of the things that he's doing indicate that he has... Um, he is falling apart. There's, there's no question about that in this text. So it can be awkward, like I said, to come alongside someone in their falling apart. And Elijah is here so that we might come alongside him. And to have empathy, to have compassion, is to suffer alongside of someone. And to do that, um, we need to enter in to what they're experiencing so I'm going to offer that idea and that question as a prayer to the Lord as we turn to his word this morning Um, allow me to pray for us God we choose to receive this morning and we we come before you even as we heard in the Psalms just bowing before you Lord in worship coming before you um, recognizing, Lord, that each one of us needs you in countless ways. And, Lord, we ask for your help now. We ask that your spirit would guide these words, which are just words, Lord, in a lot of ways. And yet we, I ask that your spirit would, um, would guide. I ask that your spirit would guide our thoughts Each person here, as they encounter the word, maybe there's something unique that each one of us needs to be reminded of this morning, Lord. And, oh, God, would we we enter in and listen? And we just submit to you, Lord, that we are listening, not to get smarter, but to be changed. I ask that you would keep changing us, Lord. And whether we simply remember something through this afternoon and mull it over or we live with it throughout this week or even longer, Lord, I ask that we wouldn't go away from your word and forget what it says as if, you know, we've looked in a mirror and then leave and forget what we look like. But we, we ask, we ask that you truly would keep changing us, and we thank you for the example of Elijah, who is a rock of a prophet from our past, and thank you that we get this glimpse into his life this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so <laughs> we are in First Kings chapter 19. And allow me to read the first five verses, and we'll, we'll look at it in three chunks today with this big concept of going into the wilderness. So, First Kings chapter 19, verse 1, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also If I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. The abruptness of this passage, if you've been tracking along in the story so far, is what makes it difficult. So, in many ways, this could be maybe one of the more surprising places in all of Scripture. It's kind of perplexing. How Elijah might respond in fear at this point. Um, The word that says he was afraid, it could also be translated he saw, he saw Jezebel. And even the word that he ran for his life, it could be walking. Although I think that he was afraid and that he ran for his life is is a good translation or or good, good use of words because we see further down the chain that he's like, I'm done, Lord, take my life. So for whatever reason, we don't know if he's running afraid of Jezebel or if he is um, simply at the end of what he believes is his calling there, maybe in in a way of despair. Um, Either way, um, the text quickly moves away from Jezebel and away from Ahab. So Jezebel is um, the wife of King Ahab, and she is the one that brought the Baal worship in. And we're not going to spend much time on her. We've already heard about her, um, her influence within the nation of Israel, how she had uh, brought in this Baal worship. Uh, but what, one thing we can say is that Jezebel is the one person that has the passion for Baal that Elijah has for Yahweh. So he's, he's met his match, so to speak. And King Ahab is still King Ahab. He's, he's like the worst king that Israel has ever had, the most evil king. And when all of the prophets of Baal are, are taken down by his, well, we could almost say his only prophet, Ahab is still um, an Israelite. His only prophet takes, takes out all of the Baals. And yet King Ahab seems to be unmoved by it. He basically turns to Jezebel and says, look what, look what my prophet did. And then, and then Jezebel pursues Elijah. But we're going to move on from both of them because the text takes us um, further with Elijah. And we get to know Elijah in reverse almost, just as in way of review. So Elijah showed up on the scene as sort of this defender of systemic injustice and evil. He arrives just speaking against King Ahab in power and authority. And he arrives as this prophet that's amazing, right? He's from the wrong side of the tracks, proverbially. He's from the east side of the Jordan. He doesn't have the credentials, and yet he is the power of God. And then he he makes this proclamation. You know, just just step back and watch, okay? Just watch what's going to happen. Watch how this nation is going to go into a season of drought and watch how my God is going to respond. And then he goes and he waits and he's, he's effective there, right? We hear all these stories that we've heard so far. He, he even is an example in his waiting how patient he is. But eventually he comes back to the, the center place and he says, let me show you the kind of God I have. So Yahweh is the kind of God that shows up in fire. And so we, we all know the story from the Baals, which we heard, and it's a common story from Scripture. Um, Yahweh destroys the prophets of Baal. And, and in fact, Elijah is part of that destruction. It says that he slays 450 prophets of Baal down by the river. And even after that, he still is waiting on the promise of God. Remember we heard about how he saw that fist of a cloud off in the distance. And even before anyone else could hear the sound of rain, he could hear the rain. He could see the prayers of God. We saw that he was always bent in prayer, and he had never lost hope. And yet here now, one could say this is the final chapter of Elijah's ministry, so to speak. And he just utterly falls apart i mean we could at least talk about it that way and we can see this in the way that he speaks and it's he's just speaking out he's speaking to the lord but he 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 says he says three things here right at the beginning he says i've had enough i've had enough lord take my life i'm no better than anyone that's come before me and he's betraying everything up until this point that the Lord has proven has already happened in his life. And now he's just betraying that. So Elijah, Elijah, this story is, is so full of meaning. Even the name, even his own name means Elohim is my Yahweh. My God is Yahweh. El is short for Elohim which is the name of God the general name of God and Elijah Yah is an abbreviation of Yahweh so even within his own name he carries the personal name of God and then he says here he says I've had enough lord he's almost saying my name is not Elijah and and then he says take my life to say, take my life. It's not like in the hymn version. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. He's not saying that. He's saying, just do away with me. Give me death. And we all know that death is a curse. He's saying, curse me. Take my life. And then he, he says another statement, which is really an attack on the Lord. He says, I'm just like all the prophets in the past, all my fathers, And he's basically saying, I mean, you have to kind of do the math to figure this out, but he's basically saying, God, you're not going to do anything different. I mean, look what just happened. I mean, 450 evil prophets were taken out and your king just stands by and nothing has changed. And this this is why... Elijah is sent into the wilderness because everything up until this point, though it's been hard and he's had to wait, and yes, the Lord t- took care of him and he struggled at times, but here, it's just none of it's making sense anymore. And he's, he's in the... So he... We have to see what happens. So he, um, he goes to Beersheba, which he goes south, and he goes to the, the edge of the promised land, So the promised land is what the the land that the Lord gave to the people of Israel to prosper. He brought them in there through battles within themselves and within the people, and he gave them that land. And then, you know, King David is in our past. We We have had sort of the peak of the kingship in this lineage in terms of the human lineage with the human kingdom. And Elijah who is this like pristine prophet of the people, he goes to the edge of the promised land and he leaves his servant there and then he enters back into the wilderness and he sits down and he says, let me die. And then that's where we'll pick it up in verse five. So he lays down and he lay down and slept under a broom tree and behold, an angel of the Lord touched him 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Now, the Mount of God, Horeb, is in the region of Sinai, and it's where Moses um, first met Yahweh and heard, you know, the Lord spoke to him and said, I am who I am. It was this, if you want to know who the Lord is, it's, I am who I am. It's that's where the, the Jewish people got the name of God, Yahweh, and they started to carry it. So in this, on this same mountain, the Lord first revealed his name to Moses and then the people of God. And amazingly, Elijah is taken back to this same mount of God. Um, to meet with the Lord. Before he headed that way, though, he took a nap. He actually, so he, he left his servant at, like I said, at the boundary, the boundary of the promised land. He left his servant. And he went another day's journey into the wilderness. And much like Jonah, he, he sat down below a tree and just asked, like, it's done. I'm done. And he, he actually fell asleep. So he asked for death, but all he got was a nap. Have you ever um, had a nap that just really spoke to you? <laughs> Naps are really funny because as kids grow up, we, um, the first thing that they remember really in life is that they have to take a nap like somewhere in their day. whether Probably the first memory that most kids have when they're three, four is, ah, I got to go fall asleep during the middle of the day. But as we grow up, we, we shed that. But then as we get older, as much as naps mess us up, like we have a good nap and then we're wrecked for a week because our we like whole sleeping schedule is thrown off course. And yet at times, we're just so exhausted we just fall, fall down, and take a nap. I was, um, my favorite nap happened in Nicaragua. I I have this this just awesome memory. So we were in Nicaragua with our missionary friends and just working all week with them. And Libby had gone out with her friend Bethany just to go out into the town and do some stuff. And we were back at their house with nothing to do, you know, in the middle of the day. And it was hot and breezy, and they had this like cool little um, atrium. Like, their house was like indoor and outdoor at the same time. And I just remember falling asleep there that afternoon, and I woke up, and it, it was like the Lord had moved through that nap in my life, and he did. He did something special there. It was just this really um, special time when the Lord gave me this little moment of peace and rest, And so I don't want to overstate the fact that Elijah took a nap, but I think it is funny that here he is running for his life, and all he can do is fall asleep. And the angel of the Lord comes and touches him, feeds him, and says, you actually still have a long journey ahead of you, and sends him into the wilderness now, it says that he, he went 40 days and 40 nights in the power of that food, the bread, the water. And that, that implies some wandering that's ahead of him. The 40 days and 40 nights is emblematic of um, what Moses did, what the people of Israel did in the wilderness, even what Christ would do. Jesus went to the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights, without food, without water, and the Spirit sustained him. Um, but it implies a wandering. Like, geographically, he could have gotten to that mount quicker than 40 days. But it implies a, a wandering in the desert, in the wilderness. But somehow, this is, this is just this is such an amazing story. We could preach this chapter, like, every, every year in the life of the church, But I think it's so amazing that that we get to see it in the context of Elijah's whole life today, which is a, you know, every so often you'll come about this as a church, but we get to do it today. So we'll pick it up in verse 9, and this is sort of the more famous part of the story. So, there he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains in broken pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. And he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king to to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mahala, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael... Shall Jehu put to death? And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. So the Lord speaks to Elijah, it's it's the grace of the angel of the Lord meeting Elijah that sustains him, um, but it's the Lord who speaks to him on this, this mountain. And you can see even in the repetition of the question and the response, you know that's, that's a way for things to stand out in the text. When a question is repeated word for word and a response is repeated word for word, that either means it happened twice or it means it's something that we shouldn't miss. So I think just let's think about that. Let's enter into how Elijah would have heard this question. So the Lord does ask him this question. Elijah, what are you doing here? The question is brilliant. It reminds me of the questions that often Jesus would ask. What are you doing here? It, it's, it's a, what I would call it, as a, it's a kind rebuke and it invites confession. So Elijah says, he goes through this litany and the irony here, and this is, we should feel this and see this, is that everything he says in his confession is true. I mean, especially from what he's experienced. I've been very jealous for the Lord. It's true. He has. He's been a, he has been a good example to follow. That's what we've seen. The people have forsaken the covenant. They have thrown down Yahweh's altars. They have killed the previous prophets. And here, here, it does seem like he's the only one left. Now, this is where he's corrected, and this is, such, this is such a beautiful place in Scripture. I mean, who else? Like, I'm not the only one that has said this to the Lord. Like, Lord, I think I'm the only one that cares. And, and when you say that, you, you mean it because of the way others are acting around you or the way the world is behaving or just the, your perceptions of something emotionally moving you, and yet it just seems like everyone else is like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess we should do that. And you, you cry out like, Lord, why am I the only one that cares? And it's at the very end of this chapter. Um, not only does Yahweh point out to Elijah, oh, by the way, Elijah, I'm going to reestablish a new king in Syria I'm going to reestablish a new king in Israel. Another prophet, you're going to anoint him. That's the next thing that happens in Scripture. You're going to anoint him and he's going to carry on your work. So you're not the only one. And not only that, there's 7,000. 7,000 who have not bowed down to Baal. There's seven thousand subtle quiet people of Yahweh this remnant is being protected by the Lord Elijah can't see it he's like I'm the only one left (laughs) and Yahweh says no you're not and it's It's such a subtle place in scripture that we miss. Because we're so self-centered. We think that it's like what we do. or, Or we think that we're actually the ones that have to do everything. And that's just not the way the Lord works. He does call us to particular places and times. Remember in Elijah's life, he was always in the right spot at the right time. And the Lord used him there. Place matters. Where your feet are, it matters big time. And yet the Lord is doing something very small in your life relative to what he's doing in the world. And, and this should give us hope. And, and I hope that it, it did in Elijah's life as he was, stood back up. And he said he was given his call to continue. Um, I want to close just with this one concept of the whisper of God, and that will take us into just a time of worship this morning. Um, why does God appear in a whisper? Or why is he in the whisper itself? This is, a, this is one of those fun places in Scripture that you could give days to if, if you had the interest. Because I think it sort of answers one of the primary questions of humanity. Um, So the Lord is not in the earthquake. The Lord is not in the wind. He's not in the fire. The fire is interesting because he was actually just in the fire with the bales. It was the fire of Yahweh. In fact, Elijah says, my God is the one who answers by fire. And let me show you how it's going to be done. And he douses the the, uh, altar with water and it's just like this awesome moment. But here... The Lord is not in the fire. So the fire is judgment. Fire in scripture is more or less judgment. The earthquake is judgment. Withholding the rain was judgment. The wind and the destruction was judgment. And Elijah all this time was in the cave. Okay? He is hiding in the cave. He hears that the Lord's going to pass by. Well, who's going to leave a cave if there's a fire at the door or there's like an earthquake right out this area or the wind is just passing through this, this place? And then there's this whisper. It's called a whisper. Literally, it's like this thin silence. The people that dive deep on the meaning of words have had fun with what this word actually means. But... You know, a whisper is a good translation. It's like a hum. You know, it's... But the reason it's important is because it's the whisper of the Lord that draws him out of the cave. And this is the way the Lord works. And we don't like... We don't like that the way, always, that the way um, the Lord works this way um, because it's... It's it's odd. So we can take anything in Scripture and look at this concept. Look at the way Jesus came. He arrived in meekness. And at one point he said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and give my life as a ransom. I didn't come to be served. His disciples were like, "Well, Lord, is it like is is now the time you're gonna like become king and stand up your kingdom?" And we have the Lord's Prayer. We have the Beatitudes. In James chapter four, one of my favorite verses: "Draw near to the Lord, and He will draw near to you. Resist the devil, and He will flee from you." So, within the character of the enemy, the the accuser. He's going to send you accusations and lies. If you stand up to him, he will resist. Oh, it's so simple. Oh, at the name of Jesus, he will resist. It really is quite a simple thing to stand up to the enemy and the power of the Spirit and the power of Christ and the power of his name. But to draw near to the Lord um, is a process. But he will draw near to you as you draw near to him. This is the great mystery of our faith. We want the Lord just to come and show up and that's it. Well, if we want him to come that way, he will come with a flood. He'll come with fire. Um, But that is not the way of Christ. The way of Christ is a tender way. So the cross sits at the middle of all of the world, and yet the world doesn't quite know what to do with it. It's, in, it's been in songs. It's used in profanity. Jesus' name is used in profanity. His, his name is... Um, plays are made about his name. Songs are written about his name. He is within the fabric of contemporary society. And yet he sits very quietly in our culture. And this is the great challenge, is that um, to draw near to the Lord is to humble yourself, to bow down. Who wants to bow down in our culture? And... Um, So I want to invite you, just as we close, I'll invite the worship team up now. I want to invite you just to um, allow Elijah to be a continuing example in your life. As I mentioned, most sermons are forgot by Sunday afternoon. A few are remembered longer. This is is our weekly time in the Word. You should be in the Word every day. So tomorrow, turn to the Word and, and work this concept out how has the Lord drawn you to himself? Um, What are some of your own lies and wounds that keep you from the Lord? What are some of the things that you want to cry out to the Lord that are similar to Elijah? Like, I'm done, Lord. Where are you done? Where are you frustrated? Where are you disenfranchised or feel, where do you feel isolated? Where do you feel lost these are the questions that Elijah brought to the Lord. And the Lord so tenderly rebuked him. You know, what are you doing here? And then he sent him back out. But in the midst of that, he spoke to him. And he, sh- and he revealed something deeper about his character to Elijah. And this is the way of Christ. Um, that Jesus came as to serve us. And to give his life as a ransom to many so that we might have life. So I want to pray for us now. And we'll just enjoy a few songs of worship as we close our service together. I'll first start with um, the rest of that psalm. I'll pick it up in Psalm 25, right where Barbie left off. And you can just listen to this. Today, if only we would hear your voice. This is the psalmist David speaking. Today, if only we would hear your voice. May we not harden our hearts as we did in Meribah. As we did that day at Massa in the wilderness. Where our ancestors tested you. They tried you. Though they had seen what you did. And allow me to um, read this. This is from the message. This is from Hebrews chapter 12. And it's in the message paraphrase. And I just want to read it over you as an encouragement. Speaking about all those who have gone in our past. And even what Christ has shown us. This is from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside. When you find yourselves flagging in your faiths, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Take up your cross and follow him.